0: Welcome to the first ever episode of First to Home, a baseball podcast, where I round the bases going first to home with people from all around the game of baseball, fans, players, those that work in the sport, media members, and those behind the scenes at the ballpark. You'll find a lot of that and more here on First to Home, where ultimately we talk about the love of America's pastime. For this episode, I talked to Sean Ballard, a Chicago Cubs fan and Little League umpire, who shares his thoughts about the 2021 Cubs and gives some insight on the current rule changes under consideration by Major League Baseball. Here's my conversation with Sean. Sean, it's great to have you here. Um, I, I don't know if you know this, Sean, but you are the first ever, you're going to be the first ever, fan appearance on first to home
1: wow what an honor thank a, you <laughs> i <laughs> was gonna say do you hear
0: the cheering in the background <laughs>
1: yeah, yeah
0: absolutely love it well I'm, I'm thrilled to have you here you know i've known you for a long time i know um i know when we um were in college together we always talked about baseball and and i'm happy to, to go back into your past and talk about baseball what it's meant to you and and some of the opinions that you have um about the game and the game is obviously as you know has changed so mon- much over the last even just five to ten years um but the first thing I want to talk about is you know anytime I have a fan on I want to talk about kind of your fandom you know how you be, became a fan of your of your chosen team and um it's it's interesting and I, I want to make sure we talk about it just right off the bat you're a Chicago Cubs fan now when you grew up with a dad who was a St. Louis Cardinals fan. How in the world does
1: that happen? That's a great question. (laughs) Uh, You know, certainly my, my, my mom grew up a Cubs fan and then uh, my parents divorced when I was very young, but my dad remarried and they've been together for 20, I think four years now. And she's a big Cubs fan. So it seems to be the important women in my life are Cubs fans. So, uh, I, I tend to go with them. <laughs>
0: yeah, yeah. Well, mom knows best, right? So it makes exactly. sense.
1: Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Awesome. Exactly. But but you know, I mean, it was still great to have you know. My dad's always grown up being a Cardinals fan, like you said. But baseball's always been in my life since since I was born.
0: Yeah, well, and and it's been in your life really in a few different respects. So can you talk about how important baseball was for you growing up and the different ways that you
1: were involved in the sport? Yeah, I started right away in T ball when I was what five, maybe six mm. can't exactly remember what age, but definitely very early on, and played all the way through senior year of high school, where there was little league, and then eventually with my high school teams as well, some travel ball. And that was uh, again for 12 years of my life, that was I kind of lived and breathed it every day. And I remember in, in high school during my freshman year the sophomore team didn't have a lot of players I think they had seven or eight so I would I got called up you know quote unquote <laughs> to, the, yeah. to the sophomore team and it during that year from basically March through end of May was the high school season I was playing seven games a week because Saturday we double header and while that was exhausting I mean that was some of the best few months just because I had nothing else to really worry about but baseball well of course there was homework too but but definitely baseball was that other big part of my life and then when I my first job actually was umpiring which is kind of the other aspect of baseball that I have too and I've been umpiring since I was 14 and once we moved to Michigan I got back into umpiring and actually became the the head umpire of a little league and that brought a whole different dynamic actually teaching people How to umpire and uh, absolutely love that experience. And I love the whole experience of umpiring because it taught me a lot of life skills that I bring into my job, you know, making quick decisions, things like that. And yeah, you always get heckled. And certainly when I was younger, it got to me a little bit. But as I got older, it just kind of like, eh, it's just background noise. (laughs) Um, But it it gave me a different perspective of the game, you know, as a player. And then I go into umpire, it, it just, yeah, it just gives you a completely different perspective and more respect for those umpires as well.
0: Yeah, absolutely. It's not an easy job by any means. And the heckling, you know, we see it all the way from little league to the big league. So that never goes away. Um, it, in fact, maybe it gets a little more aggressive, <laughs> you could argue. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but, yeah, that's true. <laughs> but, um, but yeah, I want to come back and talk about that here in a little bit. But, but I appreciate that introduction. You know, we're kind of here, kind of hanging out on first base with those intros. And we're going to uh, steal the base and go to second here and hang out here on second base. And here on second base, I think I want to talk about the Cubs with you because you are a Cubs fan and they are just, it's a very interesting time on the north side of Chicago right now. And many would say that it is really a turning point for them right now. And uh, I just wanted to get your impressions of what, where the 2021 Cubs are at right now um, and what the re- direction they're heading in.
1: I, it's really been a roller coaster since the end of the season in October until now, March. I mean, it's only six months, but I, but I feel like, Soon as that season, you know, finished, and then we started getting rid of players like you, Darvish. That was shocking. I think to most Cubs fans, and I'm certainly one of those. I just did not expect that he had a stellar year last season. Didn't really seem to be a reason to get rid of him. <laughs> you know, at that point, I mean, that lost our best starting pitcher, and then the the domino started to fall where we started getting rid of other players. And you know, of course, we didn't resign John Lester, and Schwarber left, and some of those were kind of expected but there got to be that feeling where it felt like the Cubs were in a rebuild. And I think mm-hmm. a lot of Cubs fans again myself included, were like, okay, are we in a rebuild? But then, you know, we signed some other players to the offseason, like Jack Peterson, who's turned out to be really good. I think so far, he's has, has had a really good spring training. So I'm really excited mm-hmm. for that, but it's kind of like, okay, are we, are we trying to be competitive? Are we in a rebuild? So we're in this limbo stage that we're not sure, <laughs> at least I'm not sure I should say what's yeah. going on. Um, however, I think recently with spring training starting, I mean, we've done really well in spring training again, take it or leave it right. I mean, you don't know how that will translate into the regular season, but there's some optimism and we have that good core group of players still, but they need to perform there. There's no if, ands or buts about that. They have to perform like Baez, Bryant, and Rizzo who had tough years last year. And again, last year was kind of a weird year for everybody, certainly understandable, mm-hmm. But if those guys perform well and you got Ian Haft, who had an MVP caliber year last year, if he can play at that level, uh, and Contreras is another one who didn't do so hot last year, if he can continue that into uh, 2021, it could be an interesting year, especially with NL Central not being super strong. Uh, you know, Cardinals had some good offseason pickups with Nolan Arenado, um, but overall, I think it, it'll be a competitive division that the Cubs, Cubs can be competitive in that as well.
0: Yeah, I agree. Um, you know, it's certainly, you know, you mimic a lot of what I've heard from Cubs fans as far as the uncertainty of not being sure. And, and, you know, fans like the uncertainty, you know, or they like the certainty, right? Are we competing? Are we not competing? Are we rebuilding? Just tell me what it is so I can at least maybe emotionally <laughs> prepare for it. Um, because, you know, Cubs fans have long had a many seasons of rebuilding, and I'm sure they would like to keep that behind them. But um, one of the things that makes, I think, the Cubs interesting, too, is just the fact that. You have that core that you had in 2016. Um, won it all, you know, broke the hundred and eight year um, losing streak. But that core is gonna be broken up in a big way potentially. I mean, you have you have Chris Bryant, Javi Baez, who are in their last year um, with the Cubs, unless they're extended. Um you know, Rizzo as well, even though he looks like he's probably the one that would be ext- offered a contract extension. But um, what are your thoughts right now of this team trying to hold on to multiple players that are really going to cost them a lot of money?
1: It's tough. I mean, it's, it's, it's going to be an interesting offseason for sure. I mean, I'm looking obviously way far ahead again, but you kind of have to think that way as, as a yeah. fan. And it's, you know, it's, it's to kind of step back a little bit. It's kind of, Interesting to be a Cubs fan because you know you look at when Madden was here, we won the World Series, and we were at the highest of highs. I mean, that was like the moment that Cubs fans have been literally waiting for for hundreds of years, right? Mm-hmm. And now the expectation is at that bar every single year of maybe not just so a World Series. I mean, I think we all would like that, of course, but a, a playoff team, but also a competitive playoff team. And now we're in that again. To your point, I think fans we want to know: okay, are we are we going to rebuild? If so, let's do it the right way because there is a right way to do it as yeah. far as getting those prospects and building up the farm, farm system, or are we going to remain to pick up some players through, you know, maybe before the trade deadline this year, whatever. Um, but yeah, but again, going back to your point about the future, starting with Bryant Rizzo Baez, you know, Bryant's gotten a lot of flack this past year or so, you know, he didn't have a good year and, and I kind of got into that. I kind of got sucked into that a little bit too. But then, after think about, it, it's like this guy was an MVP. I mean, this guy was is a is a stellar player. Not only was, but still is. I think this is gonna be a make or break year for him, though. And I'm not. And I I like the guy as a as a person. I think he he loves the city. I think he really embraces the Cubs culture, if you will. Same with Rizzo and bias is one of my favorite players period right now too so it'll be really hard emotionally for myself and i think a lot of <laughs> fans if I have to go but of course it's it's all about the money and i feel like we heard a lot about that from the the ownership and i have a friend that he has a podcast and his his phrases you know he's never he never understands you know why billionaires are crying about money and i kind of get that too in a mm-hmm. way so it's it's hard to, to hear that where the Cubs, I mean, these owners are, again, billionaires. And it's Chicago. It's the Chicago Cubs, and there's got to be money somewhere, right? And so there's a lot of thoughts. You know, I, I think this year is going to be a a big year for, for a lot of those players to see if we resign them or not.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And, um, you know, it, it is going to be hard, I think, at the end of the day to, uh, you know, with the money situation. Right. And, and, you know, the Rickets had said, well, and much like other teams, you know, with COVID not having people in the stands, that's your main point of, of revenue and not having that had took a hit, whether you're a big team like the Cubs or a small market team, like even the, the Orioles. But um, now that fans are coming in, hopefully that helps. But when you look at individual players, your Javi Baez, Chris Bryant, um, Anthony Rizzo, which one of those players as a fan, are you really going to be hurt if, if they were no longer on this team?
1: Yeah, that's a tough one. I think I think Rizzo would be the toughest one, just because his he's a great baseball player. He's an excellent first baseman. He can hit as well, but his leadership is I mean, it's 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 what we need, and I think it'd be really hard to lose that. Um, On maybe more of a talent side, and for me, maybe more on the emotional aspect, it's Baez. I mean, he's just he's just I just love that guy. I mean, kind of that flashy. He's that he's that that new generation of players that's coming in and I just absolutely love it. Um, and so I think for me, that's, that's where my head's at.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Well, well, interesting, interesting, nonetheless, it's going to be, you know, like I said, something where uh, it is going to be a turning point and um, we'll see how much of that core that they, they keep going into uh, 2022, but let's move on to third base here. And this is where I do want to kind of uh, dip into your umpiring experience is the many, Kind of rule changes and rule change experimentations happening in Major League Baseball, and so much so that I can't remember really the last time that so much experimentation has gone on in the league in the sport. Um, so now more than ever, you know, we're seeing MLB experimenting with several rule changes, and I want to go ahead and pull those rule changes up to discuss those for a second because I want um, the fans to really get a sense of the type of rule changes that we're working with here. So, um, earlier this year. MLB had announced that throughout the minor leagues they were going to be experimenting with multiple rule changes, um, some small, some you know pretty significant. So all of the rules are different based on the different parts of the different levels of the minor league system. So for example, um, all the way down in Low A Southeast, they're going to do the the to some fans the dreaded automatic ball strike system. Um, also in Low A, you're going to see a 15 second pitch clock in double a it's going to be a requirement that all four infielders will have their will need to have their cleats within the outer boundary of the infield dirt so talking about shifts right you can't put your shortstop or your second baseman in the grass they need to be in the dirt and then in triple a too they're looking at slightly larger bases and you know with less slippery surfaces so even things as minute as that but Really, the goal for Major League Baseball is to try these things at the lower level, see what feedback they can get, and really get a sense of how they impact the game. But from your point of view, I mean, what are your thoughts more broadly about using technology on the field, specifically as it relates to things like an automatic
1: strike zone or, or replays? My opinion certainly shifted over time. I would say when I was in high school, when I was really into umpiring, and that was pretty much my summer job, I was almost completely against it. I'm pretty sure in college, I even wrote a paper about why it would be bad to have like robot <laughs> umps or something like that. So, so <laughs> oddly enough, yeah, I, I, well, when I was thinking about that, I was like, I'm pretty sure I actually did write a, a collegiate paper on that. But regardless, as I've gotten older and more recent years in seeing how inconsistent some of these strike zones are, seeing how certain play calls can really affect a game. And it can be a matter of winning and losing for a team. And to me, the technology is there. So why not use it? So my, you know, before it was kind of, no, I don't like this. I think it's a bad idea. Now I'm kind of like, I can kind of see, I can see the value of it. As long as it can to even speed up the game too. I feel like some of the replays when I'd watched games last year, I mean, there'd be like three commercial breaks and you're like, <laughs> okay, like we've seen enough. <laughs> and it happens <laughs> in the NFL too. I mean, it's not just MLB that I'm, you know, we want to focus on as far as the replay and the challenges of that. But I, I, I think it's very intriguing. Now, the, the shift thing, to me, I think that's kind of ridiculous, personally, because if you're an MLB player, you need to learn to hit to the opposite field where the players aren't, plain and simple. And maybe I'm a little you know, bold or harsh on that, but that's, that's where my thought is on the, the shift thing. And, and to me, it's a strategy thing, too. I mean, shoot, if you got uh, a player up there, and, and I feel like it's always left-handed hitters, like Schwarber, as an example, to the Cubs, they'd always shift all, you know, to the right. Mm-hmm. and, you know, he had to learn to hit opposite field, and, you know, he he did a little bit, but certainly it's it's a strategy, and, I mean, if you take away that strategy part of the game, I feel like that's kind of missing the, the some of the fun of the game, too.
0: Yeah, and, and, and that's that's similarly to how I feel with with the shift. I mean, in a game, and, and people will tell you whether you coach, whether you're umpire, whether you play the game, baseball is a game of adjustments, and so you have to be able to make those adjustments in the moment, um, when the need arises um, and that's on the players. I, I completely agree with you uh, agree with you there. So one of the things that I always think about with with the different rule changes, particularly when it comes to replays, I always think about and I don't know if you remember this this game it, it always kind of sticks I feel like in a lot of baseball fans minds but do you remember the Armando uh, Galaraga game? you see and you're smiling yeah, I'm laughing
1: looking. before we recorded you sent me like over topics. I yeah. thought of that game right away. I'm not even joking. <laughs> uh, he was spot on. I know exactly what we are going with this.
0: Yeah, that's awesome. Because it was <laughs> one of those games where, I mean, so for those who are not familiar with the game, so in 2010, it was the Cleveland Indians versus the Detroit Tigers. Um, the pitcher, a uh, starting pitcher for the day, Armando uh, Galarraga, he pitched a perfect game. And by that, I mean, 27, of the 27 outs, he was on out number 26, two outs in the ninth inning. And um, they had a play at first, Galarraga went over and covered the first base, umpire at first, Jim Joyce called it uh, safe, even though it very clearly, even on first glance, wasn't out. I mean, this was something that he's talked about for years, both Jim Joyce, the umpire and the pitcher Galarraga, but that is a prime example of a situation where the replay would have greatly impacted Galarraga's career his stats his achievements um that right there shows you that maybe there is some merit to doing additional replays
1: yeah that is like literally the exact example I was I was going to use and it's funny that was 11 almost 11 years ago now and we you and I and probably many other baseball fans are still talking about that so it's that that's a really good example and there's Probably hundreds if not thousands more examples out there at all levels too so um, I, I think it's important to to get it right and I, and I do think I don't have stats to back this up but I feel like the umpires as a whole get it right the vast majority of the time too mm. and that's where my umpire experience kind of changes my opinions once in a while too is like well you know I can picture myself if I was an umpire made a quick you know made a close call and then they did a review and I was wrong you'd be like oh great I was wrong but at the end of the day the goal should be to get the call right no matter which side you're on and I I think that's the perspective that MLB fans players need to have as well.
0: One of the things that I think about with the automatic strike zone and maybe it's something that you can clarify on a little bit as far as what you imagine it being but with the automatic strike zone I think fans are confused about whether or not that means the home plate umpire is going to be removed or the, umpire, the home plate umpire stays there as a backup to the system, maybe even at least initially. Um, me personally, I, I would love to see that umpire there. To have that umpire eventually taken away just seems very weird. Of course, you know, when you've watched baseball and been a baseball fan for so long, you know, change is hard like that. But what are your thoughts of how that would work with an umpire buying home plate?
1: Yeah, I feel like, in, and going from wrong, I feel like one of the ideas was there would be like they'd have a microphone or something, or not a microphone, but a, an earpiece, basically, where somebody, you know, being automatic recording, basically, as soon as that pitch comes across, it'll say ball or strike. Is that mm-hmm. one of the ideas that's come across? Yeah. And so I, you, you know, you mentioned earlier, Steve, my opinion's already kind of shifting just in this conversation a little bit with, with the balls and strikes specifically, because you know we mentioned earlier about the shift and baseball is a game about adjustments. And I think as long as umpires are consistent with their balls and strikes, you know, if they're calling an inch or inch and a half outside every single time, the player's got to make that adjustment. And I think, I think that's another perspective to think about too. And also, you know, what is the quote unquote perfect strike zone? Cause I think it changes every year. I mean, I'm watching games early on in the year. They'd be talking about umpires and during umpire meetings throughout the year, oh, they're going to give a little bit higher strike this year it's kind of like, all right, now it's changing again. So it's, uh, it's kind of interesting with, with that aspect. But I, I feel like that would be uh, probably the last thing that would change as far as any automation in the game. That's, that's my gut, if ever. Um, but, I, but I do think it's, it's something to test. Like you said, that they've tested it in minor leagues. I think that is a good idea of MLB to at least get the feelers out and see what it's like.
0: You know, with the with the new collective bargaining agreement coming up later this year, which I I know fans hate to hear about it because you know both sides seems to be equally to blame for the for the nonsense around it around the CBA, but um no doubt that this year when they sit down to the end of the season to talk about that that the designated hitter is going to come up for the National League. Of course, we know last year in the shortened sixty game season the National League did have the designated hitter, but as a fan of an NL team would you like to see the DH stick around in the NL long-term? Yes. <laughs> I was in percent, yes.
1: and I feel like I'm probably not in the minority on that one. Yeah, I, I think definitely bring that because I think that brings just a little bit more excitement to the game because you know if you're watching a game at home or in attendance and you're watching your favorite NL team, like the Cubs, and then you see the pitcher come up and you're like, oh, well, that's probably going to be an out. So you're already in your mind like this is kind of boring, so to speak. <laughs> Whereas if you get that extra player – Well, then it kind of excites – it brings the game to a little more excitement is is how I'm looking at it. And, again, I know it's one player, but, I mean, you know, pitchers batting averages are always in the hundreds where, you know, throw at a guy that's hitting 250, that's twice as better (laughs) as far Mm as batting average is concerned. And so, yeah, I think I'd be shocked personally. I mean, this is just my gut feeling that they – I think they will bring it to the national league. I'd be shocked if they didn't personally.
0: I I agree, and I think from – looking at it through the lens of the MLB Players Association you you think why wouldn't you want that merely because that opens up 15 jobs right i mean when you as a league are in a situation where you have people even now from this past off-season's free agent market still not signed that's 15 jobs that players could have that that uh right there um should be enough reason to to sign on to something like that
1: yeah, absolutely. That's a, that's a great point. I didn't even really think about that, but yeah, that also brings in I mean a, a different off season too. Mm. If that happens, I mean, I saw the Cubs, there was just a little article I read the other day where um, Jorge Soler, uh, I haven't heard that name in a while, but um, you know, former Cub. And um, I mean, I love the guy when he was on the Cubs I and mean, that guy could hit it a mile mm. and he still does. <laughs> and he would be a potentially perfect DH for the Cubs to bring back. Cause he's going to be a free agent. So it's, kind of, you kind of get those wheels turned of like, all right, what, what are some possibilities? I mean, you look at a Kyle Schwarberg, and you, you could be a DH. He's, he did improve with his defense last year, no doubt, but yeah, to your point, definitely brings in more possibilities for players out there.
0: Awesome. Well, I definitely, uh, we talked about a lot so far, and I want to bring it home. You know, we're here at home plate. We're going to end it with, I think, a, a, a few uh, questions about something that uh that is in, on a lot of people's minds, and that's just the simple question of, is baseball too boring? And we've kind of talked about that a little bit. I feel like it's on the backdrop of a lot of what we talked about, but you know, all these rule considerations beg the question, what's the broader goal? Is the game too slow? Is it too boring? I mean, what do you think?
1: I think it is in general. I mean, to the maybe average or not so average fan, I mean, to fans like you and I who are really passionate about baseball I mean, I don't think it's boring personally, but I mean we're kind of the outlier, right? We're those diehards that will will, will sit through a three hour game or longer, no problem. But if MOB wants to attract more fans, which why wouldn't they? Right. I mean, especially with the revenue losses from last year, they're going to have to make it, you know, less boring and more exciting and probably less time consuming as well. I mean, you mentioned the the pitch timer you know, that I think that's a great idea because sometimes pitchers can really take a long time. And I think of Kyle Hendricks on the Cubs as an example. I mean, I love when he pitches. I mean, that could be a two-hour game pretty quick because he's he gets up there and he goes. And I love that. So I think that will be, that's got to be something that's got to be an MLB, you know, leadership's mind for sure. And I think, you know, one of the things that it has become exciting that I alluded to a little bit earlier with Javier Baez is these new players, this new generation, especially a lot of these Latinx players that are coming up, and I just absolutely love them. Another guy, Tatis Junior, excuse me, that's probably my going to be my second favorite team soon enough is the Padres just because of him because I just think he's I mean he's an incredible player and he signed a massive deal too which is which is crazy but. You know, I, I think of the game, and I don't remember all the details, where he, you know, their team was up by eight runs, and he came on business, though, and hit a grand slam, and people were like, how dare he? And, you know, these old-school baseball fans were like, you know, you're up eight runs, how dare you? No, oh, that, that's garbage. I mean, why wouldn't he go up there every at-bat, give us give us 100%? I just don't get that old-school attitude personally. Um, yeah. And so I'm really excited for a lot of these these new young guys that are coming up and making a really big impact right away.
0: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. You know, it's it's funny you talk about old school. Obviously, you know, I I've been a Cubs fan for many years, and then I changed over to the White Sox. And whether people hate me for it, I don't know. But uh, <laughs> I, I know, you a little bit. I'm not lie. But
1: I you a little bit. That's okay. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, I appreciate that. You know, it's uh, I can respect that. And and it's lately on the, on the on the south side, there's been a lot as far as talking about you know, old-school play uh, because of Tony Larusa. Tony Larusa is now, you know, the manager of the White Sox. Um, now that we're on the topic kind of, like, old-school play, what did you think? What was your first reaction? I have to ask when you saw that Tony LaRusso was coming back, hadn't managed the team since the early 80s. What are the
1: 80s? What, what was your thought? I thought it was a really bad idea, personally. <laughs> uh, just because, I mean, again, I, I'm a Cubs fan, so I, and I don't hate the White Sox by any means. I think it's, like, honestly, on, on a side note, really exciting that we have two – well, the Cubs remain to be seen, I suppose, but two really exciting teams right now with the White Sox. I think they're maybe not this year. I'm not sure, but I think they're definitely going to be a World Series contender here in the next year or two. So I think that's, that's pretty awesome. But I, I was definitely shocked. I thought they were going to get one of the kind of younger guys that are um, like a David Ross type. And I think when the Cubs hired David Ross, I wasn't 100% sold, but I think it's, it was a great move in many respects. And I never think the reason why I don't like Labrusse is because he was a Cardinals manager, and I really don't like the Cardinals, so I have that <laughs> aspect. But it, even if I wasn't, didn't have that aspect of not liking the Cardinals, I, I still think it was maybe not the best hire. You know, I'll say it here. If I'm proven wrong, you know, y'all can roast me on Facebook, Twitter. I don't care. But it, it just it seemed like the White Sox talk about the young kind of flashy talent. That's the White Sox. And that's kind of why they they kind of intrigued me too and why I actually kind of like their team. And then you bring in this old school guy and it's kind of like, hmm, how is that going to mesh? And so I think, I mean, I think that's a question that probably you have as a White Sox fan too, have in mind, but yeah, what were your thoughts as more of a Sox fan than I am?
0: Yeah, it it is something, honestly, at first I was was like you, I was like, ooh, really? We're we're doing that? We're going to do this? All right, all right. I mean, it was because part of me was torn. It was, it was, Yes, this team is young, very um, energized, very uh, flashy, a lot of swag, if we can call it that. And 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 you wonder how that would mesh with with someone who is just of a different generation. Um, and that doesn't mean you know we need to paint generalizations, right? People can work cross generations very well. Um, but that is kind of your first initial reaction. Ha- having said that, there's no denying that Tony Larusa is by by far one of the most ge- amazing managers in the game in all of the history of I mean he he has you know the third um most wins of any manager in baseball history he's gonna pass uh, he's gonna pass the number two spot and be able to take on number two per this season most likely is I think thirty two thirty two uh thirty two or thirty three wins away but i'm I'm holding out to see how it goes honestly I think that's where I'm at right now it's like I know The players through spring training seem to be latching on to him, you know, admiring and appreciating his his wisdom and his um, experience winning championships. And so um, I'm optimistic for sure, more than I was two or three months ago, um, admittingly to wrap up kind of the, the baseball too boring topic here. What do you think is important for major league baseball to do as the game evolves and tries to attract those, those younger fans who it's, the life of the game is going to really
1: depend on, honestly. Yeah. I mean, I think that's the, maybe I said million, I was going to say million dollar, but maybe for now be the billion dollar question <laughs> of, of what they're going to do. I mean, I think, you know, the, um, with this past year, you know, being just kind of a, a very different year, of course, um, what I liked is I think Sunday night baseball may have experiment, experimented with it. Excuse me, maybe spring training did, where they would um, mic up players middle of the game and just, mic them up. They might ask them a question or two, but it kind of just gets their, their feelings on what's going on during the game. I like that a lot. I mm-hmm. think that would be something that could be I I could see there are a lot of pushback from players and you know I, I want to respect that. But I think it's kind of neat. You know, you're just a random game. I mean it's a long season. 162 games, these players probably want something that's out of the ordinary where on a Sunday night baseball game or a national broadcast, they're just mic'd up and Again, the announcers don't have to ask some questions, but just kind of get the talk of what's going on in the dugout. I think that'd be kind of neat to get the insider's perspective of what happens just during when the players in the dugout watching their their teammates go to bat and play in the field and whatnot. I think that's uh, something to to think about just for regular games throughout
0: the year. Uh, well, in in the NBA, for example, a lot of personality, a lot of a lot of um, insight, a lot of personality that that league, the NBA, knows how to market their players. And, and I think that's something that MLB could use and really take tips from, you know, especially with these younger folks like Javi Baez and out of Southside, Tim Anderson and Fernando Tatis, a lot of opportunity there for sure. Last question, Sean, for you, obviously we're having a conversation today because we both love the game. Share with the listeners, what is the one thing that kind of continuously fuels that love of the game for you?
1: It's all you know, it's it's every year's different. I mean, you don't have those. I mean, you got like the teams like the Dodgers that are kind of perennial powerhouses nowadays and because their pocketbooks are very large, of course. But you got teams like the Tampa Bay Rays last year that have a payroll of not even hundred million. I don't even remember what it was, but it was so tiny that I mean, now Tatis makes way more than the entire team as an example. And so that's what's really exciting is that you really kind of don't know who's going to emerge, you know, out of out of the each league for the world series. And I think that's, that's kind of neat. And I think for me, uh, just on a, outside of professional sports, I, we have a, a minor league team here in Kalamazoo and you know, they're there, it's a college team. So college kids that come for the summer. And it's just a lot of fun. I mean, they do a lot of fun thing between innings. So it kind of makes the game exciting. <laughs> yeah. I don't think they can do that at the MLB level. And I don't think we would need to go there, but it's kind of fun to just sit there on a summer day, even a day like today, that's almost feels like summer. And just watch, watching a game of baseball. I just find it so relaxing and it's pretty cool too, because my hometown of Peru, Illinois, small town, they actually uh, just announced that they're going to have a minor league team. It's the Illinois Valley Pistol Shrimp, which is an interesting team name. <laughs> I think they played in uh, DuPage County, if I'm not mentioning it. So they moved. Uh, my dad was telling me about that. I was like, that's kind of neat. So, and actually my cousin's going to be the play-by-play announcer for the team. Awesome. Which is, which is really cool. And and also umpiring too brings in that whole other dynamic and for me as an umpire and this is what i tell when i was as the chief umpire what i told the other umpires is just have fun you know you don't need to um throw some every game you don't need to yell at people but that's not the game because i have worked with umpires that i mean their goal is to like toss somebody and it just makes no sense to me as an umpire, I feel like I'm also kind of a second-tier coach for Little League. I mean, these, these, these are kids. They're still learning the game. And I think the coaches love that. And that's the feedback that I've gotten as an umpire, too, because I can tell you, I don't get every call right. Ball strikes, they're not always the most consistent. I can certainly admit that. But if you act like you care about these kids, you want to teach them the game, that's what I love. And that's what keeps me sort of fueled with, with baseball every year. I mean, it's a long winter sometimes because there's not much going on but as soon as that spring hits, it's that excitement, you know, gets in the air. And, and um, you know, I think about my my grandpa too that that passed away um, about a year and a half ago. And he actually got me into umpiring. He umpired for 40 something years. He was a league administrator. He actually he didn't umpire at the World Series, but got to the Central States down in Indianapolis the step before the World Series and was actually just an umpiring legend. Uh, the field in my hometown, one of the baseball fields is named after him. And so it's really a family legacy too which is really cool and I still have an umpire shirt that he gave me and every time I wear that it's just like you know he's with me and as cheesy as it sounds it's it's true and you know he taught me a lot about the game as a whole he bought me one of my gloves that I still have to the day and so you you just you get those mementos that you know it's just a glove or it's just a shirt but it means so much more and I think that's what keeps me going and what makes me love baseball
0: well, there's a lot to love about it. And I think there's things in all of our families and all of our, you know, unique fandoms that tie it all together. And there is nothing special than a day like today, sitting out there having some great conversation and watching a ball game. So Sean, I really appreciate all the time you've given me today. It was a great conversation. Thank you so
1: much. Oh, my pleasure. Thank you so much for having me.
0: Thanks for joining me on this episode of First to Home. Tune in next time for more baseball conversation. Don't forget to follow the podcast on social media. You can follow me, Anthony Shulow, on Twitter and like the First to Home Facebook page. We're on Anchor.fm, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and so much more. So don't forget to subscribe to the show. See you next time.